Hey, interior designers. Welcome to the Daniel House Book Club. Together, we're reading and discussing the eight books every interiors, desi- interiors lover should have read according to Architectural Digest. We're taking the lessons we learn and applying them to our own contemporary work. And if they're great, we use them. And if they feel old, we throw them out and keep doing what we're doing. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a person who I think has one of the coolest jobs on earth. Susanna Salk, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And it is true. I do feel so lucky with, I, I say it's more of a calling than a job, <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, you totally make it look that way. Um, so for those of you who uh, do not fall asleep watching Susanna tour the famous, the fabulous homes of great designers everywhere via Quintessence's YouTube channel, um, you should. And uh, I will say in our pre-discussion, Susanna told me that she doesn't want people to fall asleep watching her. And I want to say, I just, you know, love ending my day with um, seeing these beautiful places and then going and dreaming about them. Okay, Um, good. I accept that. (laughs) I accept that explanation rather than falling asleep during. I hope I inspire and soothe. Absolutely. Um, So I'm going to let Susanna tell you a little bit more about herself in just a second. But um, first, I wanted to say why I think she's such a good guest to have in helping us wrap up our look at Elsie DeWolf's famous book, The House in Good Taste. Um, So apart from the aforementioned great YouTube series, I first became familiar with Susanna's work um, via her book called Be Your Own Decorator, um, which apart from being filled with absolutely beautiful pictures, um, if you actually read the text, is like a great tool for anybody who wants to create a beautiful space. Um, And I feel like she's giving people the ability to be their own decorator in exactly the way that Elsie is trying to give her audience the ability to be their decorator as well. Um, And when we first talked about having a conversation, I sort of pointed to um, your episode where you show your audience your own house and how you've applied Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of lessons that you've learned from designers, but in a very simple way. and I just think there's there's little more relevant to to Elsie's book than exactly that. Um, and in researching you further, I found that one of your goals is to always give design a voice. And yes. I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about what that what exactly that means to you. Well, that was the whole kind of mantra and raison d'être, as it were, behind the YouTube channel, or my YouTube channel that I do with Stacey Bucus called Quintessences at Home With, which is to give design a voice, which means taking design inspiration past that kind of velvet rope visual that we've all been so used to for years and years and years of just seeing gorgeous houses um, in magazines like Architectural Digest and El Decor and House Beautiful, and uh, seeing the kind of two-dimensional looking into a fishbowl almost as it were of what a beautiful room, what a beautiful garden, what a beautiful life. And I really wanted people to understand and kind of witness how amazing designers are, how good their company is, how funny they are, how fearless they are, um, how educated they are, of course. 
that uh, I wanted people to hear the voices behind the tours, um, just the way it would feel if you walked into someone's house, as we all often do and say, where'd you get this? And why did you do that? I do this. I, I'm sure I'm a little bit more obsessive than others, but <laughs> a wonderful house or room should demand those questions of you. You should want to sit right away and say, where did you get that mirror? And it's not that you want that exact mirror. It's just, there's something about it that you feel like you want to know how it came into this house. And if the homeowner knows what they're doing and is living fearlessly and, and stylishly and personally, most importantly, there is a story behind that mirror. They found it um, in the back alley of a, of a building on their way to their best friend's wedding. And they crammed it in the back of their car and then finished it uh, in a DIY project and then put it on their wall. Or they bid on it at auction and thought they were outbid and wanted to surprise their, their partner with it. I mean, there should always be great stories behind every piece. And um, I learned so much with every video visit, not just about what what kind of chair should go next to what kind of sofa? It's really nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's about, I have emotional reaction with the colors, pink and black, which I never thought I would, but I'm seeing it in this home. Yeah. Even a, a castle. And I love this color. So I want to paint it in my little bathroom in Vermont. Yeah. So yes. to me, interior design is not about copying and it's never a direct translation that's the best thing about it it's the one place where it's okay to plagiarize because right. plagiarism is not a direct correlation it's i'm having emotional reaction to a terracotta pot with ferns the way bunny williams has used them in multitudes in her dining room mm -hmm. so i'm gonna toss my junkie pot and just buy a terracotta pot and trust that the same juxtaposition is going to work in my little corner of the woods. And that's what it's all about. So it's hearing the designer's stories and being inspired. And then hopefully you telling people your own stories when they ask you, where'd you get, why did you, how, et cetera. So I have two responses to that. And one is I, so whenever I buy a design book, I'm always a little bummed if there aren't floor plans included because it's so like important to understand how one space links to the next. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, one of the things I love about watching your videos is that you can move through a house. You move and, through, exactly. I don't have to cut yeah. anything due to advertising pages. I don't <laughs> yes. have to have an editor telling me we only have three pages. So you have to pick your the favorite, the most important rooms. I can go 10 minutes. I can go five. I can go 15. I can bop around. Exactly. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I think sometimes people who are not familiar with this profession just say, oh, that's that's so fun and so simple and so easy. And, you know, I think it really is an intellectual pursuit, which you are, you know, sort of explaining as well by really digging deep into how people came to have the particular idea that they had and setting aside taste and sort of being able to understand the wink and the nod that's in a room. 
Um, yeah, a weekend and not is a very good way to put it. And the yin and the yang and that tension between not everything going so perfectly. There has to be a nod or a wink of, um, I don't take this so, so seriously. And like any good dinner party, there has to be different people around the table. Otherwise, yeah. it's just boring. Or a room will look like just a hotel room if everything, quote, goes. <laughs> and I would argue and say that decorating to me, learning about it isn't necessarily intellectual, although studying uh-huh. the beliefs and rooms of, of the greats like Elsie DeWolf to Bunny Williams on and on. It's an emotional pursuit. It's fully all in emotional uh-huh. because the best rooms have the emotions of their owners right behind everything. The ones that follow too much of what should be done or what they think they have to are just lifeless. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I see what you mean. That makes sense. Um, so today you're here with us and we're talking about the last three chapters of, of the book um, called The Art of Triage, The Villa Trianon, and uh, sort of humorously, Notes on Many Things. And to look at the first chapter, um, Art of Triage, uh, for those who may not know, this is just building a trellis for some vines to grow on. But um, for Elsie, she's famous for doing these great interior trellis rooms, and in particular, um, one for her commission at the Colony Club. And um, just out of curiosity, because I never have been, have you gotten to go to the Colony Club? I have seen it, yes. And is it enjoyable? It is, I mean, what's so interesting about a lot of these very iconic moments in design that still exist today, like anything, you've seen the kind of derivative. Like a billion times over and over. A and over. billion times. So like yeah. something almost becomes iconic and then can it lose its power a little bit? Yes, because you have seen so many versions of it everywhere copied or you know translated uh that you forget how impactful they were when they originally came to be you know yeah it's funny that you bring that up because in looking at the pictures that are included in this book I'm just like I've seen that a million times and I've seen that a million times and I've seen right. that a million times and none of this is really very inspiring to me um, but, but you have to remember how new it was in the age of heavy masculine Victorian furniture, which Elsie thought was ugly and boring to have whimsy on walls and nature on walls. That was a really big deal. Yeah, exactly. So um, you bring up whimsy and I want to definitely get there Um but I thought maybe we could talk about basically the impetus to create a room like this as being a strong desire within all of us to figure out how to bring the outdoors in, especially if we live in a city or a cold place. And I'm mm-hmm. curious um, if I can, if we can go back a decade to your book, you included three rooms that I love. In particular, I would love to have Rose Tarlow's living room where the vines are mm-hmm. growing from outside yes. in. So cool. Um, Love that. Can you throw out some other cues that you've seen that really suggest the outdoors coming in that maybe aren't uh, trellis applied to the walls? Well, yes. If you look at our latest video visit that we dropped um, 
on Johnston Harding's house in, in Los Angeles. Yes. He wallpapers with v climbing vines and leaves uh, right up to um, the tippy top of his walls using Excel wallpaper. But then look at the video. He has a painter paint a continuation of those vines onto his ceiling. Awesome. And then he forms his monogram, his initials on the ceiling in the vines. And then I think he even writes Seize the Day. I mean, he's an extreme example of creativity, but um, certainly anything to do with wallpaper, if you're not lucky enough to live, you know, to have vines coming in through your windows and, and ceilings like Rose Tarlow in Los Angeles, then, you know, I, I, I strongly urge you to buy plants that have beautiful pots. You could look at the Ashley Whitaker video that just dropped where she was inspired by Bunny. Yeah. And she has a whole outdoor patio of dozens of pots and most of the pots she gets at like Home Depot. Yes, and that was fascinating. A beautiful fern in it and calls it a day. And the only reason why she had the guts to do that, given even though she's an incredibly experienced designer, is because she saw a picture of them or at Bunny's house. Yes. Uh, I would also say that um, places like Anthropology, I've done it myself, have digital wallpaper now. And I got a floral, a beautiful, really expensive looking, like it was hand painted, floral wallpaper. Uh, and I put it in my teeny tiny bathroom that uh, is right off my kitchen and it is a game changer. Really cool. I was, I loved in um, Ashley Whitaker's, I think, living room where she had that pot that had branches that were like the size of a tree. Uh, yep. Oh, that was, that was so incredible. Cool. And guess where she got those for free in her live uh, in her woods outside of her house. Yes. Yeah. It's not very so, far that you have to go, is it? Exactly. It's not far that you need to go at all. Um, the so I thought the container. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, totally. And you can get that at Home Depot. Um, so I thought maybe we should learn one thing from Elsie, and I'm sure many others knew this. I just had never put the language together. Um, and I should confess to being a serial plant murderer because I, I always have a vision and then I get very busy and forget that plants need, you know, help. Um, but uh, I didn't necessarily realize that um, to be a trellis, there had to be some architectural element going on. Whereas lattice is more like, I don't know, a brick is to a wall. It's like a building material. Um, and so Elsie's rooms, like we've already said, are, you know, we've seen them before. Um, they're classical. They have columns and panels and um, it can be quite elaborate. And I'm curious if you've seen any applications of trellis um, that maybe feel more contemporary, more original. Um, I know you've described some other ways the outdoors come in, but have you seen trellis used in, in a fun and interesting way? Well, you can certainly not have a whole wall of trellis. I've seen trellis kind of interrupted and continued. Uh -huh. So trellis doorway, trellis on the other side, maybe another window. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yes. trellis can also be painted in wonderful colors. So Which it just totally have... contemporizes the feel. Right. You could do it in a, a glossy black or gray, or you could do it in a wonderful green, um, olive green or pale green. I mean, 
don't let the trellis just be there for for supportive reasons. It could shine in its own right. Everyone who knows me well knows that basically my entire wardrobe is olive green. So now you've given me this idea and I could just blend into the background of my house. Um, olive green. Yes. Okay, good. Really beautiful. Um, okay. So uh, one thing I did want to note about looking at Elsie's trellis rooms versus some others that I've seen that do make them stand out in my mind is um, that often her ceilings are just white plaster. And then, uh-huh. um, you know, maybe she's reintroduced lattice work right around a central pendant light or as a very lightweight border at the edge of the ceiling. Um, and I was sort of relating this a little bit to uh, in going back and looking at Be Your Own Decorator, how there are so many um, salon style walls, which I absolutely love. Um, but sometimes, as you said, in sort of the accessories part of the book, uh, a singular object can have as great or maybe even greater impact. And so I, I feel like part of the power of these rooms that she's done is that she gets that sometimes there needs to be something really singular to focus on. Um, can you think of some examples where, uh, going for singular, where a multiplicity might have happened has turned out really, really well? Well, I think that, um, I'm a big believer in the power of threes, Uh you know, that, um, one thing is never as strong as doesn't have to be the same thing, but all you have to do is put a couple of things on a wall or across a bureau and you suddenly have a collection. Yes. And that's very, very important. However, I will um, bow down to the power of an amazing light fixture in a ceiling. I mean, you really should never, it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, I have some in my house here that I got for $200 that are obviously knockoffs of uh, super expensive Italian modern kind of mid-century looking lighting fixtures, you know, brass with white um, balls on each spigot, you know, it's sort of like a modern chandelier. Um, but it just makes my room. It's a singular, like an exclamation point. Um, so I would really challenge everyone to go into every single room of their house, including the bathrooms and look up and say, is this the best that this can be? Right. Um, Because personality in your lighting fixture is just a game changer. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it's sort of like jewelry. I think I always sort of think absolutely is like jewelry in a room. Um, absolutely. Okay. So if we move on from, uh, the trellis room and we go to the Villa Trianon, which, um, is a house at Versailles that Elsie and her partner, Elizabeth Marbury, um, restored with great love. Um, and I, I, want to point out, and I mentioned this actually in a conversation last week too, that it's it's not a restoration, it's a revitalization. And I think particularly in the United States, we can get very um, hung up on making things exactly as they once were. Um, but what is really interesting to me about revitalization is, I mean, she filled it with five five bathrooms, and this is a house from the era of, of Louis the Fifteenth. So that's you know, new, and she is clearly not intending to make it 
as it once was. And a revitalization is like bringing back in all of the life that once happened there. So she would throw really elaborate parties and she talks about how she would have uh, plenty of Louis XV furniture, but then contemporary big comfy chairs that sort of ensure that, um, that everybody has a great time when they come. And so she's giving us through this book a lot of guidelines, but also kind of the courage to be like, well, that doesn't work anymore and we gotta try something new. Um, which I think starts to get toward this idea of whimsy that you have. Um, and I'm curious about, um, particularly because a lot of our listeners are, are decorating for other people. They're not decorating for themselves. So it's easy, I think, to create whimsy when it's just you. But when you're bringing your client in, do you have or have you talked with other decorators about how they sort of help the client see that some of this fun and uh, unexpected stuff is really absolutely critical to the outcome? Yeah, that's tough when someone is uh, fearful. Hence my yeah. book after Be Your Under Her called Decorate Fearlessly. Um, <laughs> and I would definitely recommend people to look at that because it's not like crazy rooms that would make you think, wait a minute, polka dots right. on the wall. It's nothing to do with that. It's about pushing the envelope a little bit and using visuals as visual crutches if you do love something. I mean, I've made many leaps of faith on the whimsy front because I've seen a picture of something else and I know it worked there for me. So I know it's going to work for me. You know, it worked emotionally when I looked at the picture. So I just say, you know, I mean, the first thing I ever decorated was my first house when I lived in LA and I bought a house in Connecticut and it was when Martha Stewart was, her magazine was just coming out and she had a paint line based on her chicken egg colors. Yes. And she would show rooms in her magazine that were beautiful that had like pale green wooden painted floors and light blue walls and another like a creamy white ceiling. Mm -hmm. And she gave the paint color names and that was a really big deal for me because it looked so whimsical and beautiful. And I really wanted to paint my son's room that color, uh, who was two years old at the time. And I remember I emailed my painter to get those colors. And he called yeah. me and he was like, are you sure you told <laughs> me the right colors? And I said, yes, I have. And when you walked into the room, it looked a little bit overly whimsical when there was nothing in it right but I trusted it I trusted the picture that I loved and sure <laughs> enough as soon as I put in the bed and the children's books and the bookshelf and the toys it looked unbelievable yes. unbelievable so it was a very whimsical approach but it was grounded in a picture and everyone should keep a dream file of things that they love of you know almost like a, an architectural plan of this plus this equals that. So yep. whimsy isn't about winging it to the point where it's not thoughtful. Right. It's just doing something that has a sense of slight, as I say, tension or unexpectedness. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad you brought up uh, paint as I, I think it's a great idea to send your clients on a vacation. The <laughs> paint starts because um, it can look so intense until you sort of 
cut it with all the stuff. Exactly. And your eye, I always tell people, let your eye adjust to the change. Yeah. So at first you're going to be, you know, not in every case, but you're going to be like, wait a minute, what? And then, then I just say, just give it a second to settle. Let your eye get used to it. If your eye is jarred by it after a month, something's wrong. Right. It is natural to feel unsettled a little bit in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, yeah, I have had a couple of rooms where I have been jarred for much longer than a month and they're no longer the color that they started with. Yeah, Um, that's a thing. Mistakes happen. But in the beginning, everything like I just took a settee. Um, that's now in its third incarnation of fabric. The first time in the early 90s, it was kind of a traditional floral. Then in the early 2000s, I made it a chartreuse eye cat, and that looks fabulous. Cool. And now the other day, I did it in like a velvet leopard. Oh, awesome. So that's going to be a real change for my eye. Although leopard to me is a kind of a neutral, but uh, <laughs> it's, I'm so used to seeing that chartreuse green eye cat. I mean, budgets aside, because I know, you know, I had to save up for it too. And I'm not saying being frivolous, but every six months you should challenge your eye. You should move things around, consider re slip covering a pillow or a sofa or getting new bed linens, just, it's really important. Yeah. Maybe you know, you just don't want to have things that have been the same for 12 years, even if it's just your floor plan, you know? Yes. My family calls me shifty Pete because I'm always moving stuff around and it drives them all nuts. But well, that's a huge compliment in my book. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I, you. I think so. I know they're trying to offend me, but I'm, I'm pleased. Don't, listen to, them. don't <laughs> listen to them. Um, so actually, you, you've brought up this trial and error um, thing. And in this chapter on the Villa Trianon, Elsie talks about the trellis wall that she's created in the garden. And I mean, this is really like, uh, it's almost like a classical house built out of trellis. It's not what right, right, right. you and I have. And, um, she, but uh, she talks about having to tear it all down three times before she got it exactly the way she wants it. And now that it's you know, as she wants it, she says it's her best work. Um, but, you know, she's presenting herself as a master and she had to tear it down three times. And to some extent, we do need to know what we're doing when we're working for clients, but we also maybe need to convey some of this we've not tried before. And how, how do you, how do you convey to somebody whose money you're spending? Um, that we're trying out an idea and we might need to do some editing when, when it goes up. I mean, I think just the way that you said it, I mean, yeah. Okay. To reiterate that it's a collaboration and it's an imperfect science sometimes, and it does involve, you know, colors involve emotions, houses involve emotions, emotional reactions. Right. So, and let's face it, sometimes a client will tell you something and you know, deep down that they're not going to love it or it's not going to work, but it's their house. 
you feel that you know better, it's a hard dance. Yes. You don't want to push your agenda because even if it's the prettier option or the better option, they still may not like it. Right. And that has to do with innate taste. So it's very, very tricky. And um, I think the more that you reiterate the we and how things aren't always one and done. Right. And you have to pick your battles and you have to be careful, too. You can't be that loose about the entire room. Yes. But, um, you have to proceed with a with a perfect a kind of innate combination of fearlessness and vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Vulnerable. Yes, you have to. Yeah. Be, I think there's a desire, um, especially, you know, when you're operating alone um, to appear as professional as possible, which is a good thing. Um, but it does, I think, sometimes curtail that vulnerability of saying, you know what, this we might not exactly know. Um, and I think it's the exactly. responsible thing to do. Um, um, okay, so the other, the last thing I want to touch on, on this, uh, on the house is that she talks about um, the main floor as uh, being predominantly this silvery blue, which is very French seeming, um, but that throughout there must be a hundred different shades of blue. And you included a room in, in um, Be Your Own Decorator that sort of brought this to my mind, which was by Carrier and Company, where it's a bunch of beautiful whites and a very intense blue painting over the fireplace, and then mm -hmm. some subtler blues um, woven throughout the room in textiles and other small cues. Um, and I, I love this kind of room. Uh, but as I have had to um, move faster and faster and procure things sometimes online and then wait for a sample, but maybe I've had to select something else already. I get afraid to do this kind of room because I'm like, what if I'm, <laughs> what if I ordered something that is just gonna look hideous next to what I just specified right here, but I haven't had time to see it yet. So I, I try to specify more disparate colors that I know won't clash with one another. Have you talked to anybody else who has this problem when having to work somewhere? No, I'm sure, you know, we all are fearful about almost an over kind of coordination yeah. and having one thing dictate and inspire and have a domino effect in the rest of the room. It's like giving one piece too much power, you yeah. know? Um, and that's scary, of course. And a lot of designers will say, I start with the rug or I start with this and that informs the rest of the house. And sometimes you'll even hear a designer say, I started with this little pillow of blue. I mean, I often will see color combinations in oriental rugs or in any kind of rug that I say, I literally want to do a whole room based on this color combination because it pleases me so much condensed here on a rug pattern you know yes yep yeah i loved um i loved your uh, tour with uh peter penoyer and katie ritter who oh, I worked for years ago yes yeah, their color is so awesome um it and is i love incredible. how they um 
how Katie was like, I think we designed the room around these valances in their master bedroom. Yeah, and they can so do that because they are so sure-footed when yes. it comes to color. I mean, they're really masters at it. And I don't know how they got so, so good at it, right? I mean, it's <laughs> obviously nature and nurture, but um, that's an example where if you really have a strong reaction in a positive way to their house you know perhaps it's best to start small and start with a bathroom start with a little reading area you know you don't want to take on a huge living room um, because that's when your risks start to get really big because you're covering sofas and buying rugs and the walls are bigger I mean it's always better I think if you're feeling a little you know shaky to start with you know a smaller square footage of somewhere and go from there yeah i think that's great advice and yeah i mean even like i I, i've taken a lot of drawing classes and they say you know if it's not if it's not working in a little scale you're probably not going yet to have success at a bigger scale so i think trying it out small is great advice um okay the last chapter here uh is um, sort of to me feels like I've got to finish this book and there's a few more things I want to say. Um, but, uh, basically they're key ingredients that I think Elsie somewhat in particular, maybe this doesn't universally apply, um, really cares about. She says there should be a clock in every room, preferably of old French origin. She wants a writing table everywhere, pretty much, except for maybe the dining room and the bathroom. Um, and then, little stools everywhere. This one makes a lot of sense to me and seems to apply today. Um, She does indicate that she prefers stools to little tables, which can be filled with junk sometimes. Um, And then she talks about the importance of a huge porcelain stove as a good um, thing for heating spaces that are difficult to heat, as well as what she sort of makes a prediction that in the future, a lot of houses will have interior fountains. And these last two, to me, feel very uh, maybe signature to her. And so I'm, I'm curious if you'd maybe talk about the, the some of the staples maybe that she's mentioned, but then um, some things that feel very uh, clearly signature to a, to a designer. Or really outdated. I mean, that's... Yes. that's, that's- was so outdated all of everything that she just said right I mean it's very much of the way people lived back then they sat down on desks they wrote letters they needed clocks to tell the time so therefore what kind of clocks would look chic you know it's that's a very very outdated description of a room's necessities but I like the way that she is calling out that some, you know, every room does kind of need a comfortable place to sit and a place to do your work. You know, she almost kind of um, is trying to give people a laundry list of comfort of how to, achieve, you know, the right. staples of a room. But These are the things you need to exactly. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we should all think about when we look at our rooms, no matter what they are, what do I do in this room? Is this a multitask room or a single room? I have mixed feelings about, I don't like rooms. 
I, I, you know, unless you can help it, I mean, unless you must do it, I don't like rooms that are too many different things in it, like a guest room that's also an office and, uh, yeah. a, you know, a TV room that's also an office. Like if yeah. you can squeeze out having each room be its own destination, yeah. I, I, I much prefer that. But then I will also say that I hate pass-through rooms, rooms that just... You know, I go into people's houses all the time. And if I know them well enough or they ask me my opinion, I'll say, I bet you never use this room. This is a yeah. pass-through room to get to the one room. So it's almost like their whole house doesn't have to exist except the one <laughs> room that they use. And that yes. shows that they're not thinking clearly about what those rooms need and how they can be used. That sort of room is so immediately apparent, I think. I mean, yes, it, it, you're never wrong when you ask the question. They're always like, no, I'm never in here. Uh, yes, I know. Uh, I mean, for me, a, a pass-through room can often be a living room, too, because people have created it in a way that is so uncomfortable. that. And they say, <laughs> oh, we go here when we have company over. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you, you don't. don't. Go you, have- you go to the kitchen counter, I bet. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thanks. I think that 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 helps kind of distill that chapter really well. These are the comforts. These are the things that you need. Um, I guess the last thing I want to say is that I kind of wish I had had you here last week when we were talking about um, the small apartment, and she talks about um, the genius of like creating a dining room that's also a library. Um, because you show a lot of pictures that do that so successfully. Yeah, uh, where the books are on the dining room table and then the dining room table converts to a dining yeah. room table when needed. Yeah, I love that. I love I love how that looks during the day. The dining room looks so much more inviting and friendly or filled with stacks of books. Yes, it does. And the dining room can be wasted square footage depending on the way that you live your life. Totally. So I just think it's it's such a cool idea and thank you it's an opportunity (laughs) yeah yeah um well i mean that's that's sort of the the end for me on covering the book i did want to um sort of ask um while i have you here if you have any sort of last advice for a young designer who wants to make their mark but also wants to do their their best to care for their client um Well, if they want to make their mark, obviously social media is such a great place to share their world and their inspiration with everybody. So they're a separate personality and they move forward through their career as themselves. Yeah. Because that's who people hire a person, not, you know, a profession, they hire a person. When you merge with someone whose house you're doing, I think as long as you start from the very beginning of asking them to show you their dream file and what they're enamored with and what they want to live with, even if they don't know it yet, I guarantee you if they, if they go through 10 of my books or 10 to other design books and they tag anything that speaks to them, you will arrive at color preferences period preferences for it's everything. Even if you have them tag fashion ads that they love, 
you have to go into it from a ground level where the the, the client knows what they love emotionally yeah. and are drawn to before you do anything else. Because sometimes people think that they love modern. And then when you really come down to it, you see that they've tagged 30 rooms that uh, have a very traditional spirit and they didn't even know it. They might so, like the idea of modern, I think, in that case. Um, exactly. So you can't start until your client really knows what they love. Right. And it doesn't mean what they love in their, what they want to have in their house. You have to go past that and say, what do you love out there in the world? What really makes you feel safe and happy? What colors, what styles? Don't judge yourself, you know, make the dream file and then go over it with them so that when you're moving forward, if they choose something that is very far away from that dream file, you can remind them. But that's not time. something that they have emotionally responded to before. And yeah. are they sure they want to bring that in, you know, et cetera, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I mean, cause I, I think you've sort of taken it one step further as um, using it as a guide throughout and constantly referencing back. I think people yes, have your dream file. It's also a way things to point at. Yeah. Hey, client, you sh showed me. 30 images of rooms without rugs. Right. So why are we spending why are we doing this? $50,000 on a rug that actually it seems like you don't really love rugs. Right. You're asked to just pick your favorite rugs. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, I also find that um, if somebody is having a hard time saying what they love, it's very easy to get people to say what they hate. Um, yes. Great point. Which can help you move toward what they don't hate. Um, Absolutely. Great idea. Um, I think somehow it takes a little less vulnerability to admit what you really don't like. Um, you don't feel judged in the same way. Yes. Good point. Good point. Um, well, anyway, uh, Susanna, any, any last words here? Um, or should I say thank you and send you on your way? Well, thank you for having me and for everyone. I, you know, I hope they were inspired a little bit, but um, I would just continue to say what I always say, which is be fearless, not just in life, but in your home and only, only display and use what you love and use. Don't have, you should be able to point to every single piece of anything in your house. And if you don't use it, or you don't love it, give it to someone else who may. Great advice. Thank you for giving us such courage. Um, thank you listeners for joining us today. And um, if you would like to follow along with the reading that we're doing, um, please visit danielhouse.club uh, and navigate to the club bulletin tab where you'll find our reading schedule. Um, and also consider uh, becoming a member while you're there because Daniel House is a tool that helps designers do more of what they love and less of what they hate. Um, we are going to be taking a Christmas break after this episode, but we'll be back on January 3rd um, and we'll be starting to discuss Joseph Albers, the interaction of color. And we have some exciting guests 
who know all about color who will be joining us then. So thanks again, Susanna. Have a wonderful holiday season. And um, I hope to talk to you again in the future. Thank you for all you do, Peter. Take care. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you.